in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. You heard in the update, Simone Biles will come back to compete in the Beam Final on Tuesday. Uh, She'd been experiencing, according to herself, the twisty since the team finals last week. A situation where when you're in the air and other uh, apparatuses in terms of what she has to do as a gymnast, it's uh, dangerous. And if you're not all in confidence-wise, it's probably not best to be competing. Uh, She said on Friday she was still experiencing a phenomenon which gymnasts feel like they get lost in the air. Uh, She's going to come back, Adam. I'm... I mean, good for her. It's great. Love to watch her compete. I'm a little surprised. Uh, I thought that uh, she had shut it down completely. God bless. She has been clear about the fact that she's not going to compete unless she feels she can do it safely. And, you know, good on her for being able to deal with this in such a way that she can get back out there, but only on her terms. And look, Simone Biles doesn't have anything to prove to any of us at this point. Uh, If things did not work out for her this Olympics, she still holds five medals. I don't think that anything that she does from here on out should be the uh, the sum total of her legacy. All right. Uh, here we go. My, is it? That's crafty yeah, wording it's crafty right word. there. I give you credit. <laughs> it's good that you played that one. It was crafty wording. I've got to get your thoughts on this in terms of the odds. You're our odds guy here. This was crazy, or it's been crazy. Chris Bryant joins ex-Chicago Cubs teammates Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez in mashing debut homers with their new teams. As I saw this morning on Twitter, wouldn't it be great if these guys were all on the same team? They would probably be pretty good. Odds that this would happen? Astronomical, no? Well, I mean, if you know that on, on any given day, uh, a guy who is likely to homer is probably 3-1. to one. Uh, A guy who is not so likely to homer is probably closer to 5-1. to one. So... The odds that they're all doing it on the same day uh, would pay for a pretty good retirement with the right bet. So you're right. I, I hope someday we get to see this sort of super team aligned on the field and working together because it could be really fun. Yeah. Uh, did you? I mean, look, it's the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs. I get all of it. I get, I get like rebuilding. When one of those teams do it, I guess it's harder for people to believe in terms of, you know what, you just can't hold on and you can't do it anymore. Like when a Cubs team does this, are you more or less or evenly surprised in terms of a team with a ton of money gets to the point where they just start dumping people? You know, with the Cubs, it's such a hard situation to parse out because you have all these guys headed toward free agency. You can't pay all of them. And who knows if it's in a Roldis Chapman situation in reverse where some of these guys might even go back to Chicago. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't seem like that's the intent from the Cubs' perspective. But look, if the multi-billionaire Ricketts family decides to tear this whole thing down and say we need to build it the right way, then please spare me anything about the Cubs for the next five years. I don't want to hear about it because this team has all the money. And you, sir, are a fan of a team that has money and acts like it has money and goes out and puts a competitive team on the field every year. Put our cash where our mouths are. Come on. Scherzer uh, on Wednesday very excited i said last week i don't know if you'll agree with me that um in terms of the dodgers they always when they give up these prospects gave up number one and two last week i don't know if it ever matters because they just go buy people i'm not saying i disagree because they're always good but like everyone's last how, how could you give up the top two prospects you don't know if scherzer will resign what's happening with bowers money all of this i'm like yeah they'll just go buy somebody it, they'll always be competitive because they'll just spend their money well it's it's a combination though isn't it because you can do that because you have walker bueller 
because you have Cody Bellinger, because you have Corey Seager, because for years you've had Kenley Jansen, like you've been able to work around the guy, you know, the guys that are there as the young core that you haven't had to pay yet. And then look, Ed, yeah, honestly, how many times is a Mookie Betts available? Right, like, right. And, and they did it. God bless them. They went out there and they did it. Uh, so I think it's a really good combination for the Dodgers of, yeah, we have some young core players that we haven't had to pay yet, which allows us to spend our money. Uh, please send the memo, by the way, to Hal Steinbrenner with the Yankees. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. There's Coach. Uh, really want to get your thoughts on this uh, because I, I go both ways here. And if I think this is right or wrong in terms of American athletes. Swimmer Lily King doubled down on criticism of Russian athletes hours after the president of the Russian Olympic Committee said his team's medals are the best answer to critics who question why the country is allowed to compete following doping scandals. Uh, We know earlier in the uh, Olympics, Ryan Murphy, another USA swimmer, took aim at uh, the Russian athletes uh, who have run afoul of doping rules. Uh, You remember Russia was revealed to have launched a massive state-sponsored program to elude testers ahead of the uh, Sochi Winter Games in 14 and depleted squads the last two Olympics as punishment. I really want to focus, though, on the American athletes uh, and and Murphy lost, uh, you know, was sitting there next to the Russian who beat him. Uh, King King said, actually, I didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, race against the country in question. I just, man, in the world of doping and in terms of, like, I'm kind of cynical because I'm not sure who doesn't dope at some level, when Americans sit up there and now twice accuse a country that, and it's kind of low-hanging fruit. Russians have had, obviously, issues with doping in the past, major ones. I don't know why, and tell me why I'm wrong. Like, it just turns me off for the Americans to sit up there, especially after losing to them and say, oh, these guys aren't clean. Why are they in the Olympics? I'm kind of with you, Ed, and I'm with you for this reason. The Americans have advantages that many other countries don't. And it has nothing to do with good doping versus bad doping. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. It's just that this country has more resources and probably a much stronger training program and commitment to it than a lot of other countries. So it just smacks wrong. Uh, it's it smacks of entitlement in a way. Uh, the doping part, yeah, I get that. I mean, these athletes are going out there and they are in situations where it is a fingertips difference as to whether they win a gold medal or a medal that they won't remember. And if that's the difference between glory and failure, then I'm also concerned about who has the best drugs. But at the same time, uh, and it just it doesn't it doesn't fit for me. I, I I don't like hearing it. No, it's just it comes off. There's a just a hint of just maybe margin hint of sore losing. This was Murphy because they. They, you know, they doubled back on him and say, hey, you kind of started this. He said, I think things were definitely, they were definitely taken a little bit differently than what the question I was intended. I was asked a question about doping and swimming. I answered, honestly, I do think there's, they are doping, or I do think there's doping and swimming. He said it wasn't targeted at uh, Rylov, the guy who beat him in the race in the 200-meter backstroke. Look, he's sitting right next to you. They ask you the question at the press conference. Yeah, I say there's doping. Who do you think they're going to think you're talking about? It's just, Adam, I see those things. I like cringe that American athletes kind of take those stands in a world where, and included in America, by the way, in many of our sports, there have been doping. Uh, hello, Lance Armstrong. Hello, Barry Bonds and others to sit there and accuse people. I, and look, maybe Russia st- and their athletes are still doping. Like I said, they've obviously had a past and they've been, you know, uh, they've been disciplined for it in terms of some of the teams they've had to send. But I'm with you. I, I just I always kind of close my eyes and say, oof, why are you up there saying that? It's To me, it's just not a good look for Americans. 
Well, think about Major League Baseball, Ed, where you have players like Justin Verlander who've been very outspoken about cheating in the game, right? Who, of course, now are associated with a franchise that has been tagged forever with a cheating label. And you can speak up if you want to speak up for yourself. But when you're representing something much larger like the USA, be careful because you don't know what you might not know what the Russian athletes done next to you, but you don't know what the USA athlete who's over in the next race or in another sport has done. And, you know, that's the, the part that worries me a little bit from the USA perspective is, you know, don't throw stones in that glass house unless you know that everybody is clean, because then you end up, as you just mentioned, you end up with a Lance Armstrong situation yeah. where, you know, now everyone has to wear that scarlet letter. What do you think? Well, uh, congratulations, Northern Nevada, Krista Palmer. Uh, she couldn't stop smiling for good reason. Bronze medal in the Olympic three-meter diving competition. Uh, it was awesome to see. Look, I mean, <laughs> my son and I are watching. I said, don't ever bet on Chinese swimmers to win the diving. You're going to get the odds that you don't want. to Talk about heavy favorites. But it was cool to watch uh, Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Potter uh, from Northern Nevada uh, to get on the podium. You could see, Adam, her kind of euphoria, and I think not only for winning the bronze, but she just knows how tough it is. I mean, I, I, I've been to many Olympics. I, I got to be honest. I haven't covered diving a ton when I was there. There were other things I covered. I can't even remember. Someone can help us on on Twitter. I can't even remember when the Chinese didn't win men's or women's diving. Like it's like you go there saying, "Hey, if I can get the bronze, it's been a huge success." Yeah, I, I that is, uh, you know, I have a lot of uh, knowledge of sports that I wish I were using for, you know, I wish other things were using that space in my brain for sports knowledge. <laughs> I don't have it on Chinese diving, but uh, yeah. Um, but I, I'm with you, dude. I, I've seen it plenty of times. Roll it on. Next question. Uh, Raiders have made a couple moves at kicker. Daniel Carson on the reserve COVID-19 list on Sunday. They re-signed Dominic Eberly to replace Carson on the active roster. There's an update, and we're going to get Sam Gordon at 830. He's out of training camp. Jalen Richard is on the field for the first time this training camp. He's been on the covid uh, 19 reserve list. So is this just, a, and I'm out there and you know, the, a lot of guys have the masks on. We talked about it last week with you and Tyler in terms of, it doesn't mean they've tested positive. Obviously if they're on the field, they be, could be close contact. They could be unvaxxers and unvaccinated. I just get the feeling, I guess I'm not going to be surprised. I'd like to know your thoughts. If this is ever going to be hundred percent, the entire season, we see no masks and you know, guys are not being put in this protocol. I think it's, not hold your breath, but week to week, who knows what's going to happen here, uh, especially if you have guys unvaccinated on that team, and obviously not all are vaccinated. I just don't know if this kind of slows down or if there's not always someone on this list. There's always going to be someone on the list, Ed. I mean, the, the current stats in the United States are that of people 12 years old or above, 58% are fully vaccinated. So 42% is a lot of people uh, in this country. And uh, take that little subset here with the NFL and say, if what they came out with right before training camp, the protocols that basically laid out, it is going to be a really difficult life on you as an unvaccinated player in the NFL. And it is going to potentially affect the rest of your teammates. If that's not enough to get people vaccinated in the NFL, to get players vaccinated, I don't know what will be. How can you put out rules that say your COVID diagnosis, if it spreads through the team, could cause a forfeit, yeah. could cause players to not get game checks, could cause you to lose 
uh, ground in the playoff standings. If that's not enough in the National Football League, I don't know what is. Uh, we'll add here, Minnesota Vikings were out multiple players for Saturday's practice. Vikings rookie quarterback Kellen Mond tested positive for COVID. A leak source confirmed as a result, quarterbacks Kirk Cousins and Nate Stanley have been deemed high-risk close contacts. And like you were saying, uh, we had guys in the Raiders last week that we assumed were close contacts to Jalen Richard. That could be as big an issue as any. If, if a guy tests positive, that's one thing. But if you're in a position group and you're in meetings with this guy and or you're hanging out with him, Adam, that could even be more of an issue than it's one thing if it's a kicker, you just go sign another kicker. But as we saw last week with all these guys on masks and, and being close contact, that could really screw you for a game. How dare you about Pro Bowl kicker Daniel Carlson? I can't believe you just say you go sign the league. In, led the league in points last year, that guy. Yeah, goodness. Uh, yeah, well, he had a lot of help from John yes, Gruden. But, well, there you um, go. Inside the 20. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Ed. <laughs> the, the close contact, as we saw with the Denver Broncos quarterback situation last year, is the real issue because no one wants to watch a game with Kendall Hinton, the quarterback. No. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. This was interesting. The NHL has rejected the Kraken's deal with goaltender Philip Grubauer, noting violation of front-loaded contract rules. I assume that means they couldn't believe this guy signed with them, so they gave him a bunch of money up front. Uh, they have to redo the contract. Unrestricted free agent signed a six-year, $35.4 million deal with the expansion team, an annual average of 5.9 against the cap. It was rejected because it violated league's requirements for front-loaded contracts, according to Cat Friendly, which reported the rejection of 1.5 million variance in salary uh, from 2022 to 2023 exceeds the 25% of the first-year salary. So obviously they gave him too much money up front. Quick question. We're even surprised Grubauer went there. I mean, they'll get the contract settled. Obviously, he's going to make a, money, a bunch of money. I kind of took this as, you know what? Came close with Colorado, and I'll just get as much money as I can. Oh, and any goaltender in the NHL should if someone's yes. willing to pay him because yes. by next year, Philip Grubauer might be terrible. First and also, by the way, he is going to regress next year. No question yes. about it. Philip Grubauer had one of the best defenses in the league in front of him last year, and uh, it could be ugly in Seattle. All right, when we come back, a couple high-priced NBA stars are saying, you know what, we'll opt out and go for other contracts. Back at it on a Monday. It's Ed, Adam Candy, and Jared Tyler off for the week. Uh, before we get to some of these stars who are opting out, I wanted to ask you this, uh, Adam. The U.S. is going to play Spain uh, in the uh, next round, headed towards what they believe is a gold medal. We said last week, uh, Tyler and I, well, before the, today happened, that uh, we thought the women's soccer team had a better chance to win gold than the men's basketball team. I guess we were wrong there, and we'll see what happens with the men. Give me your view of what you've seen so far. I, I think it's I think it's a fair statement to say the best team we've seen this summer them beat is Spain here in an exhibition. Now they get them again. It's kind of an up and down. They've had two blowouts recently from teams they should have blown out. But I guess are you going to be surprised if they don't get this done? Or do you think what you saw from Durant yesterday, the other day says, okay, they've got it going a little and he's playing out of his mind and they'll just get it done like everyone, just, I guess, just assumed? I mean, if you believe the odds on the U.S., they're minus 275 to win the gold medal, and the closest competitor uh, is Luka's Slovenia at 7-1. to one. So according to the odds makers, there's still a significant gap between the USA and whoever comes next. So yeah, yeah and I, I would be surprised, and it's less about how they've played and more about just this team ultimately being far too talented that when they have some level of chemistry going to lose. 
Have you bought into it all? And I look, this is mostly when they were losing and when they lost to France. And I didn't, I don't know, and I necessarily believe this reporter said that they were griping when they came off the court. From what I understand, the reporters aren't close enough to see anyone griping off the court given COVID. That Popovich kind of came in and said, well, we're going to run things San Antonio's way, and this is what we're going to do. And guys were upset with the offense. I got to be honest, I just, and Tyler's spoken about this a lot. I just can't, it came down to like, if they don't make threes, it doesn't matter what offense they're running. I mean, if you, and we've seen them in games where they make threes and Durant goes off and then no one's going to beat them. But then we've seen the Middletons and, and, you know, the Dames and everyone else miss everything and they get in trouble because they're small and, you know, they, they can't deal with some of the bigs and the European teams. Look, I think there's also a certain amount with this of, getting used to shooting backgrounds, yes. getting used to the difference in how the game is called, getting used to the different three-point line. Like I, I think a lot of this comes down to all of those things wrapped up into the wrapper of these guys have a lot of tired legs. Mm-hmm. Like There are a lot of long playoff runs on the legs of these guys. If it takes them a little while to get into it, I'm not all that concerned about it. Um, and I think we've seen the last couple of games, granted the competition has been terrible, that they've at least looked the part. We'll talk to Jamison Welsh coming up at 9.30 on all the NBA action, including West, Westbrook going to the Lakers. First, though, uh, I guess I'm not surprised because I think he's going to stay with the Clippers anyway. There are a couple guys that didn't uh, opt into their player options. Kawhi Leonard being one, he declined a $36 million player option, uh, and the expectation is he's going to negotiate a deal with the Clippers. He has the ACL injury. I don't even know if he's playing next year, but he's in his prime. So he was still, at this point, the high-end uh, featured player on the market should he opt out, which he did. I think he'll stay with the Clippers. I can't believe you know someone who wanted to get back to California that much that he's now going to turn around and say, no, I'd like to go, you know, go back east or, or somewhere else. But ACL, like, are you ever surprised at kind of the continue hunger of other teams, even if a guy like that who's had knee injuries, who's had foot problems, he's has the whole load management, is still the featured guy in the market, and he's now going to be in line uh, for a five-year, $235 million deal? And if you had any doubt about that, all you had to do was watch Kevin Durant last year because Kevin Durant mm-hmm. was coming back from a far more catastrophic injury and an injury that we've seen over the course of NBA history has robbed guys of explosiveness mm-hmm. than Kawhi Leonard is. The ACL is sort of de rigueur at this point. We're used yeah. to seeing guys come back from it. And Kawhi's game isn't nearly based on explosion the same way that Kevin Durant's is. So, no, I mean, given all of that, I'm not really surprised. Uh, Sam Amick reporting uh, earlier today that uh, Kawhi is expected to resign, uh, that he has been involved in discussions with the Clippers about their uh, potential draftees and who they were going to bring in uh, last week. So it seems like Kawhi has bought in on the organization. And uh, if there's a guy you're going to build around, I-, I get that Kawhi Leonard has the reputation of you know kind of being an assassin and a hired gun in some ways, but he seems to be as reliable a player as you could to give that money to. Another guy who did not opt that nut. This Kawhi didn't surprise me. Like we said, he's in his prime. Uh, when he went out, he was averaging, you know, in, in the postseason 30, 14 or whatever. I mean, he's one of the best, probably top five, obviously, two-way player in the world. But uh, 36-year-old, 11-time All-Star Chris Paul has opted out of his $44.2 million player option and becoming an unrestricted free agent. Okay, I don't know why I see 36 years old, and I'm like, my God, you opted out of $44 million. They just went to the finals. He had a really good year. I get that. He kind of reinvigorated himself to bring that team to the finals. And yet... 
I, I, tell me why I was surprised at this, given his age and that money. Now, our friend Jared Justice here brought up an interesting point. I'm not going to say I know uh, their money situation. They probably have to go into the tax to do it. What's your feeling about him not opting in at that price? And could this be, eh, we're just going to throw it out there, LeBron saying, I don't know if I want to handle that ball that much. Wes isn't going to handle the ball that much. Let's see if the money can work and try to bring him to L.A. and just kind of, you know, uh, complete the circle there in terms of getting the best team in the court to win it all. Boy, that would be the best investment uh, Chris Paul has ever made if he's the one who brought LeBron to that finals game just to have him sit courtside and say, hey, (laughs) just, uh, just make him think about it. Just make him have a little second thought. Yeah, I know. Because $44 million, look, look what we were just saying about, no, Marc-Andre Fleury wouldn't leave $7 yes, million yes. Dollars on the table, right? How about $44 million uh, on the table? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously something that, um, you know, with Chris Paul is shocking. But old Bobby Sarver down there in Phoenix, uh, the goodwill that, that team generated this year that would be a hard swallow for Phoenix fans to watch Chris Paul walk away. The word uh, that I've been reading from down there is that they do expect that there will at least be a multi-year offer on the table for Chris Paul. Um, and look, if, if with Chris Paul you accept the fact you're probably not going to get a full 80-plus games out of him, that you're just going to get hopefully that excellence and brilliance over the course of maybe three-quarters of a season and the playoffs, then you're getting exactly the guy who I think can perform at the level that he did for another couple of years. Well, and I'm this it has to be this way, right? The agent, you're, you're not opting out of $44 million unless you know something else is on the table or you're pretty sure you can go somewhere. And again, if he goes to the Lakers... I don't know if LeBron says we can get you 44, but as Jared said, maybe you get into the tax and he's the 30 range. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars and he just wants to go win and you're dealing with LeBron and, and, and Russ, but you're not at 36 often out of 44 million unless you know there's a better deal on the table or you're just going to go win a ring. No, of course not. Uh, the question for me is <laughs> if you were to combine Chris Paul with Westbrook with James with Anthony Davis. Oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, <laughs> How do you, how do you, I I, I know it's cliche to say there's only one basketball, but my God, there's only one basketball. How good are they that I totally forgot of any, I'm like, oh, it's Westbrook and LeBron. Oh yeah, yeah, there's that other dude. I mean, can you, is this, you make a good point. There's only one basketball. Is this a good fit? When Jared said that, I'm like, okay, but does LeBron want to give up that much control of dominating the ball? Because obviously if you bring Chris Paul on, He's the point guard that you think you need. Like, just from a standpoint of not only there's just one ball, like, how do you think this mixes it? I know there's super teams and there's been super teams in terms of winning it all. Is this a foregone conclusion if they get him that they're just, like, you know, as well as anyone, the overwhelming favorite of the books and you'd be shocked if they didn't win it? Well, and what is it that this Lakers team needs more than anything? There's one thing that they shooting. need, and none of the guys you just mentioned provide that shooting. Right. That's the real issue here is you can bring in Russell Westbrook, who last year shot 31% from three-point range, and it was his highest number in four years. Or you can bring in Chris Paul, who was reluctant to take three-pointers for a large portion of uh, of last season once he got hurt. Now, granted, he had a good season shooting the ball up around 40% from three-point range, but that was his highest number in five seasons. Right. So... I, I love the idea of adding all of this talent and all this experience and all of this drive. I just would love to see somebody put the ball in the basket from farther than 10 feet away. 
We'll stick with it at 9.30. You want to listen to Jamison Welsh. He'll give us all our thoughts on the NBA. All right, when we come back, out to training camp in Anderson live. It's Sam Gordon with the Raiders. I would say my thoughts on the group right now was uh, it's a similar feeling to the defensive line group I was a part of in 2017 in Jacksonville. It was just a special uh, energy in the room. You can just tell guys had each other's back, and I feel that with this defensive line group early, you can tell guys when to see each other win and just push each other. New defensive star, Unique Ngakwe there for the Raiders coming back. It's Ed, Adam, and Jared. Let's get out to training camp. Live from there, at Sam Gordon. Follow him on Twitter by Sam Gordon. Does a great job uh, covering many things for the Review Journal as well as the Raiders. How are you, Sammy? Doing well, Ed. How you, how you guys doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good, good. Okay. Uh, set the scene. Jalen Richard is back. He was on the COVID list. It doesn't appear like Denzel Good is. Uh, he was with us last week in the media room having donuts. I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, but set the scene with Jalen Richard because a, a lot of people last week, Sam, thought, you know, you don't want him out there till he's healthy, but he better get back out here because the running bo- running back room is going to shrink. There's a lot of guys in that place. Yeah, there certainly is. And he's out here. He's been active, you know, participating in position drills and some of the team stuff. And, um, you know, he looks good. He looks sharp. I mean, I expect him to have, even with Kenyon Drake, I think he's going to have some kind of role, whether that's in special teams, whether that's kind of being the scat back that he's been uh, the last few years. But but good to have him back, um, you know, rounds out the depth in that backfield. You mentioned Denzel Good. Um, not here today. John Simpson getting those reps uh, at right guard during some of the individual stuff, and it looks like they're starting to break out into some team stuff now. But a lot of energy. I mean, uh, a lot of energy at practice. Things are moving at a good pace and uh, just really – waiting on when they put the pads on. That's going to be tomorrow, and I think we'll have a, a more clear idea of how things are going to shake out about who's leading and what position battles once the pads come on. So um, good atmosphere, good energy, and definitely good for the Raiders to get Richard back out there on the practice field as things roll along uh, and they approach that first preseason game coming up here. Sam, a lot of talk about, as you just mentioned, who's rolling with which unit, right? Who's with the ones, who's with the twos, et cetera. Uh, your understanding that, uh, you know, once we get the pads on, we have a much clearer sense of that. Uh, you think that'll clear up some of the questions that we've had around Cleve Furl and some of the other guys? Yeah, I think so for sure, right? I mean, there's in terms of that defensive line, there's a lot of new depth there. And I think um, the first, you know, first week or so is just about finding out who can do what, what the strengths are of each individual player and how they want to incorporate those rotations moving forward. We understand it's a, it's a, deeper, a deeper unit, a deeper lineup, and that there are, going to be, there are going to be some rotations in an effort throughout the course of the season to keep anybody, everybody fresh. So maybe if a guy like Keith Farrell isn't running with the ones all the time, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to have a big role. It's just going to be a, a different role. So, yeah, once the pass come on, I think we're going to, we're going to have a more, more of a general sense about who's going to play where, what roles are, what kind of playing time guys are going to get, and, and who's going to win those competitions. So, it's 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 early. It's it's still really early. I think some things are starting to uh, starting to take shape a little bit, but it's only the first week. And without the pads, you know, when they're still in this in in this position where they're where they're doing a lot of stuff without pads, I think it's hard to really glean or take away who's excelling and who's doing what. So we're inching closer to that point. Uh, I think you know tomorrow and moving forward after that, we're going to have a better sense and uh, of, of what this team is, uh, how this team is going to take shape, what units are are doing what, and. Um, frankly, looking forward to it because right now, you know, just the, the walkthrough stuff with no pads, uh, at least from my perspective, is starting to get a little repetitive. And I'm sure it is for the players, too. They want to get out and start banging a little bit and, and see what's what. Uh, I think I'm right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rugs, Zay Jones, Sneed, Edwards, Hunter, and uh, John Brown. The six seem to be set in terms of wide receivers. I know people wanted to look at Trey Quinn coming in. But I'll tell you what, as much as Rugs and Edwards are being thought of, I thought from the time I've been out there that Willie Sneed has had a nice camp. Uh, you can slide him in maybe to the slot with Renfro. 
Talk about Willie Steen, what you've seen from these receivers. And like you said, there's no pads. We understand that. My God, last week I was timing underhand tosses back to Carr with these receivers. So I don't know what the hell I'm talking about most days. But it seems to me like I've watched Willie Sneed, and they might need Willie Sneed to do something if, if we haven't seen the maturation of Ruggs and Edwards that everyone wants. I'm 100% with you. I mean, this is a guy in New Orleans who, you know, his rookie season, 2015, nearly 1,000 yards, and then follows it up with 895 yards the second year. Now, we understand that offense, you know, being indoors with Drew Brees is a little different, and it's not going to be the same role. But this is a guy throughout the course of his career who's proven that he can get deep, uh, who can get open in the spot and, and make things happen. So I think he's a, he was a sneaky good addition. Uh, 432 yards last year with Baltimore uh, in, a, in an offense where passing obviously is very, very secondary, but still only 28 years old, going to be 29 when the season starts or during the season. I think he has a lot of good football left in him. I think he's going to be an asset to this team one way or the other. Um, you, you touched on the receiving group. I think there's a little bit of everything, right? You have the, the speed with Henry Ruggs and then John Brown. You have the possession guy with Brian Edwards and, and, and Hunter, Hunter Renfro as those two continue to develop and mature. And then obviously Darren Waller, the number one option in this passing offense. He needs no introduction. He needs no explanation. So I think there's a, a little bit of everything in, in that particular group. And to your point, I think Snead, uh, is a welcome addition with what he's able to do. He's a veteran. He's been there and done that. He's been on great teams throughout the course of his career, teams with championship expectations and championship aspirations, and I think he's a good vet to, to add to that group. He's been really impressive. Um, when I was out here last Friday, made a re- really impressive catch in the back corner of the end zone, a, a contested grab. So I think, he, I think he's an asset. Like you said, I think there's a lot of things he can do. He's a veteran, and his experience should be a good addition to that group. I think it's a, it's a deeper um, it's a different looking group than it was last year, obviously, but a little deeper, a little bit more experienced, a little bit more savvy, veteran savvy, and, and Willie Sneed definitely a big part of that. Okay, I I hear you, Sam. The Raiders have a need for Sneed. Okay, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've written it down. I've got the headline ready to go. We're all set. Um, John Gruden was also talking uh, about Brian Edwards uh, recently. He was talking about how he had the look of a number one wide receiver and um, I kind of want to explore that a little bit you're just talking about physically how the guys looked how he's performed out there uh, Brian Edwards the guy that came in obviously with some expectations in the rookie year last year didn't really uh, go his way no not at all uh, and, and I think injuries had a little bit to do with that uh, you know he gets hurt in that New England game in September and then never really quite never really quite found his groove you know kind of lost in the shuffle there as Nelson Aguilar established himself and of course Darren Waller I did what he did, but he looks great physically. I mean, like you said, he, he does look the part. I mean, when you think about the prototypical number one wide receiver, it's it's a guy with Brian Edwards measurable. 6'3", 215, looks healthy, moving around well. Uh, definitely the most imposing in that receiver group physically when it comes to his measurables. And uh, he seems to be moving really well and, and looks a lot better um, now than he did last year. I think there's kind of an understanding of what kind of player he's going to be, I think. He put, you know, kind of a possession type. I'm not sure he may look like a number one receiver. I think that's a, a lofty, lofty expectation for him. I don't know if he's eventually going to become that or not. We'll see. But he gives the, the Raiders, I think, another target in the red zone, another target on third downs where, where he has that big frame. And you'd expect him to, to use that in, in those kind of situations to maybe box out, to maybe make plays on the ball, uh, has good ball skills from what we've seen so far. So, yeah, I think he's in line to take another step forward. Now, what does that necessarily look like? What does that mean in terms of production? I'm not sure. We're not going to know until the season starts. But there is a physicality that he brings to the position that really nobody else in that group has. You talk about Renfro uh, and Ruggs and Snead. Those are smaller guys. And Brian Edwards definitely uh, has that, that physique, that build um, of a number one guy. And, and I expect him uh, to, to take some a step forward in this offense. What that looks like, 
I'm not sure, but I think they're going to rely on him on you know third down and red zone situations for sure. Uh they're going to give Trayvon Mooring every chance to win the free safety spot. He's been running uh, with the ones and trying to learn the spot. But there's a lot of younger guys, I say younger, you know, three years or less, that I'm not sure if they're going to give uh, long leashes to in terms of what they'll go with. Uh, Trayvon Mooring, we can talk about. Also, I don't know how long leash Damon Arnett gets. Casey Hayward's right there. And also, Jonathan Abram, I think they want to be great, but there's a reason they brought back Carl Joseph. So, Sam, there's some young guys in that defense. They've been so bad in the secondary. I think they'll t- give good looks to, but if they falter early, you've got vets behind them that I don't think he'll, you know, that um, Gus Bradley will even hesitate to get them in. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think there was an understanding that the performance in the secondary on the back end last year, the pass rush was what it was, but the secondary, quite frankly, wasn't wasn't good enough, right? And there's that's why you bring in veterans. You want to create competition. You want to create a sense of urgency, maybe light a fire under some of these younger players, and uh, and it's important that they do so. And and like like you said, I think there's they, they do want you invest first and second round picks in, in young players. You want them to develop. You want them to be part of this future. You want them to take a step forward. But let's be honest. I mean, this is year four of the Gruden era now, and there hasn't been that hasn't translated to, to the on field success. I think that the, that was expected internally, and and there's a sense of urgency, right? If, if those young guys don't perform early or um, you don't continue to perform and develop throughout the course of camp. Now you have veteran options. You create competition. Uh, you have depth. And I think that depth for the, you know, from the Raiders' standpoint is good. Now what does that mean for the young players? I'm not necessarily sure. I don't know if you want if, – if I'm a you know, 22-, 23-year-old DB find, trying to find my footing, the last thing I want is a veteran to brought in that, that is more of a known commodity that can come in and play behind me. So the hope is that that creates emergency, and I, I think it will. Now what does that necessarily mean? I think it's still too early. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There, I mean, it's, it's year two, year three for some of these guys. Uh, Damon Arnett, right, and was drafted as an older player. He's going to be 25 by the time the season starts. Like, what is he going to do? I think it's time for him to get out there and produce and and to to, to showcase some improvement. If not, like you said, there's veteran options. So uh, the secondary, I mean, it has, it's 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 very similar group with with the addition of those veterans, but at the same time, very different because of those veterans. So we'll see how it takes shape. I mean, it's it's the defense. Um, I think it's the number one storyline, right? This was a top ten offense last year. It was a bottom five defense, and if that defense doesn't get in order, uh, this team I think is going to struggle again, regardless of how good the offense is. So uh, there are a lot of competition there on that back end. I expect uh, Trayvon Merrick to to eventually win that free safety job. That's why you trade up to go get him in the second round. But other than that, I, I think still a lot of unknowns. And um, it's, the Raiders are in a you know good spot with their depth, uh, but it's it, it also creates some, you know some some decisions, some difficult decisions that are going to have to be made throughout the course of camp for sure. Sam, uh, you talk about Trayvon Merrick and his situation. What other position battle do you have your eye on here in this training camp? Yeah, definitely slot corner, right? The, the nickel, the nickel corner. And I think in, in today's NFL, so many teams um, rely on slot receivers. You know, you see all these three receiver sets, or, or, or you know, four receiver sets even uh, beyond that, where, where safeties are put in coverage situations. But that that is one that I am eyeing. Is that going to be? Is that is there is there is that Nate Hobbs, the, the rookie corner? Is that Nevin Lawson, you know, the veteran that was here last year? Who ends up winning that job? I, I think the, the perimeter corners get all the shine and, and they get all the attention and love, but it's equally important, um, in my opinion, who, who, like, who guards the slot receiver and, and what kind of role that, that player ends up having. I think another one I'm looking at is who's going to emerge as the number one receiver, right? Now, we know who the number one option in the passing game is, and that's obviously going to be Darren Waller, but Nelson Aguilar is gone, and he was super productive. So does that Henry Ruggs? I think we all want Henry Ruggs to, to, to play like that top 15 pick and, and play to that pedigree, but could it be John Brown, uh, the, the, the veteran speedster that is only two years removed 
from a 1,000-yard season in Buffalo? Could it be Brian Edwards, like Ed mentioned, who has the look of a number one receiver at 6'3 and 215 pounds? So who's that, that second option in the passing game? That's something I'm, I'm curious to see who emerges there as well. And then just um, not necessarily position battle, but more generally um, that, that retooled offensive line. What is that going to look like when the pads come on? We know that unit have been a strength over the last few years. Drastically different. I mean, could be four, you know, four brand new starters by the time the season starts with, with only Colton Miller um, remaining. How does that group look? Because if that group isn't solid, if that group isn't steady, you can forget about duplicating what the offense did last year. I think every good offense, and we, we understand that, that most good offenses, it, it starts in the trenches. And if that group isn't productive or, or as good as it was in the last few seasons, I think that offense is really going to struggle to duplicate its success. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. I mean, a lot of moving parts, a lot of key storylines. And, again, I think a lot of that, the dust is going to settle. The smoke is going to start to clear. Once pads are on, once you get into some more competitive situations, uh, then things are going to take take shape. I think some of these position battles are going to clear up. We're going to have a better sense of what this team is going to look like going into the 2021 season. Yeah, I think it's obvious. Uh, it's Moro Kutowski and Littleton as your linebackers. Uh, but talk to me real quick. Last question. Javen White of UNLV. I'm not sure you know people knew if he was a long-standing guy uh, when he came in uh, last year, but how has he looked? I, I keep seeing updates from people that Javen White looks good in, in, in camp. Yeah, I mean, he he was even getting a little bit of run um, with the ones at times. I know last week, and, you know, he looks good. I think um, the team obviously liked him enough to keep him on the practice squad last year. I think it was a matter of, of physicality and, you know, transitioning, you know, continuing transitioning into a, a new position. Um, looks a little bigger than he was last year. I think he's put on a little bit of weight um, and, and looks just looks like a little, a little more confident, more sure of himself, more sure of what he's doing uh, as a linebacker now in that new role, of course, started out as a safety in UNLV. I think there's a chance that he cracks that rotation and maybe the 53-man roster this year. Uh, he was up for a couple games last year, um, but but he's fast. Uh, he's flying around. He's he's really, really active and, and seems a lot more sure of himself. So it would definitely be be interesting if the, uh, the hometown kid uh, is part of that linebacking core. Like you said, I think that out of all the uh, – there's a lot of variables on this team and a lot of unknowns. The linebacking core, like you said, um, seems to be one of the, the units where there is some stability and there is some continuity. And you need depth. You need depth there, right? And uh, and if, if if he continues to have a good camp, maybe there's a chance he's part of that uh, going into the season for sure. Follow him on Twitter at by Sam Gordon. Does a great job covering the Raiders out there for the Review Journal. Get back to work. We appreciate you stopping by a little. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. There he Happy is, Monday. Sam Gordon. There he is, Sam Gordon on the Raiders. All right, it's that time again. Has, is Steven still on deck? Does this guy keep? Does he continue to win? I think he won one part of his parlay, and neither of us can remember the second part. Which so means we're, we're going to give him the mulligan, and he won yep. both. Back with Steven. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. All right, here we go. It's Steven. Oh, he's close. He's that close to the Antonio Brown jersey. Closer than anybody's been in a while. Six straight. Hi, Steven. Good morning. Uh, okay, you had Belgian women's basketball against Puerto Rico, and they won like by 176. So it doesn't even really matter what your second team was in the parlay because we're going to give you just because Belgium won by so much. Uh, you're at six. You're going for seven. You can almost taste that jersey. Who do you want? I'm going to go with women's water polo. Oh, my God. I'm going to take the U.S. to destroy Canada tonight. Really? Boy, you are something. You're, you're doing a great job by finding these bizarre Olympic – uh, picks Adam. What do they have at the books on U.S. women's water polo over Canada? I have no idea what the number is. All <laughs> I know is most of their water is frozen, and so I don't know how they play water polo. Stephen, we'll get you tomorrow, buddy. Go yeah. for seven. Hey, I, 
Hey, can I give an interesting note about my picks? Oh, why not? Yeah, sure. So if you do a traditional 16 parlay, it pays about 4000 Okay. If you, uh, off $100, if you had rolled with me in the beginning and did a 16 parlay, $100 on all my picks, you would have won $91.52. Wow. <laughs> You're picking the favorites. I like it. You're trying to go over that jersey. We'll root for the uh, USA. Thanks, buddy. Yep, thank you. Bye. USA water polo over uh, Canada. I have no idea. I, I've seen, Adam, I don't know, but I've seen a couple water polos only because I think that's what Millsy's announcing, although I haven't heard Millsy's voice. Maybe I'm just, like, missing it. But uh, it seems we're good at better at women's water polo than men. I think men have a more difficult challenge. That's my Olympic update. Have you watched any water polo? The only thing I know about water polo is what we heard from Millsy from Tokyo when he was uh, on the phone with us last week. And I, I'm I'm also not 100% convinced that that uh, that this broadcast that he's doing is available anywhere like widespread. I think he might be doing like you know like underground video streams for people trying to pirate these things off the web. I think Millsy's for hire. I wonder if Millsy's even even in Tokyo. Maybe the kid just wanted some time off. He's back at the house in the basement. Uh, this is too bad. I feel bad. Season-ending so- surgery for uh, Fernando Tatis is on the table. If his condition oh, does try not, to contain yourself. I'm uh, trying to contain myself. If his condition does not improve over the next ten days. Uh, went on the injury list. Now listen, I am all for healthy players. So to me, I think this kid should be under the knife as soon as possible. Let's get this shoulder fixed up, cleaned out, get him back for next year. Uh, I will ask you this. If he does not come back, is there now a chance Max Muncy goes into the MVP favorite? Uh, he'll be in the discussion. I think if Jacob deGrom comes back at all healthy in September and leads the Mets to the playoffs, it's going to be Jacob deGrom. Uh, Max Muncy absolutely will be in the discussion uh, for the Dodgers, but I think in order for that to happen, they probably have to overtake the Giants. Um, and I think that the Chris Bryan acquisition uh, makes that much more challenging for Dodgers. Of course, we still haven't seen your boy Scherzer on no. the mound yet. Wednesday night, my friend. Wednesday night against Tyler's Astros. Uh, I think he's going to one of those games, either either Tuesday or Wednesday. Isn't he, Jared? Isn't he going to be yep. one of those games? One of those games, and we've, we were going to... De- you know, advertise it here on ESPN Las Vegas as the Battle of the Press Box. Yes. And then uh, management told me, please don't do that. So we're not going to do it. What if we got it sponsored? Could we then do it? Yes. <laughs> then, uh, yes. If there's money involved, yes. yes. Yes, we'll get it sponsored. What would you do with them real quick, Adam? I mean, look, I, I want the guy to be healthy. He's an incredible player. He should be the MVP, but he's the future. They're talking about putting statues up of him. He's got $300 million contract. How sure do you have to be to bring this guy back? Isn't he like, okay, we'll win the World Series. It might not be this year, but we can't like ruin this guy? The Padres are seven games back of the Giants. At this point, anything the Padres are doing is to try to get a home wild card game against either the Dodgers or the Giants. Right. At this point, with Clevenger coming back next year, just put him down for the year. Just do Man. the surgery and get him right for next season. Real quick, six seconds. Are you a believer in the Cincinnati Reds for the wild card? Absolutely not. All right. Well, that does it. Back with Adam Hill in the Gold Cup.